Well, for those of you still standing, go ahead and have a seat. The rest of you, all of you, go ahead and get your Bibles out. And we are going to now conclude our sermon series that we've been walking through since uh, the beginning of September. Uh, we have walked through in these last few months, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and now Colossians. Now next Sunday, let me just give you kind of a quick uh, preview of where we're headed for next Sunday. We're walking into, obviously, Christmas season. Scott talked about that a few moments ago. And so for our sermon series for uh, Christmas, going all the way up to Christmas Eve, we're actually going to be taking a look in Matthew chapter 1 at the genealogy of Christ. Now, there's lots of names there. In fact, as you know, there's 14 generations and then 14 generations and then 14 generations, and we don't have that many weeks. So we're not going to cover all of those, but we are going to cover five individuals that are found there in the genealogy. We're going to spend some time studying the lives of five people that are mentioned within that passage in Matthew chapter 1 who all have a very similar situation. In fact, they're the five unique individuals that are found in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. And that is, we're going to be talking about Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and then of course Mary. And so can anyone figure out what the uniqueness is in that group of five? They're all women, the only five women that are mentioned in that genealogy. And we're going to walk through as we talk about redemption. The redemption story that Christmas is. And we're going to look at redemption in the life of how God moved and did amazing things in the lives of these five ladies. And so that is our sermon series beginning next Sunday. And so I encourage you, make sure you come back and, and be with us all the way up through Christmas Eve. And in fact, if you're making plans for Christmas Eve, I'll let you know that our service is that day because Christmas Eve is a Sunday. And so we're going to have one service at 11 a.m., and then we're going to have one service at 3 p.m. on that day, and that will be our Christmas Eve services. Uh, so you can plan ahead and make sure that you are here and invite people to come with you. Now, today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, and if you've got your Bible journals with you, it's page 86, and we're going to be walking through, and I mentioned it in my prayer a few moments ago, I mentioned the word calling, because this last chapter of the book of Colossians really deals with calling. It focuses on uh, several different calls that God has placed on our lives, and Paul accentuates these calls as he relates to and as he's talking to the church at Colossae. And so we're going to walk through and begin looking. Last week, if you remember, we were in Colossians chapter 3, and we talked about this idea of how we must put off the old and put on the new that will then res result in changing our lives, which is God, what God has called us to do. And so today, in light of that, again, Paul write, you know, again, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, not sitting down and deciding, I'm going to write chapter 1 on Monday and chapter 2 on Tuesday. Yeah, he didn't write it in chapters, he wrote it as a letter. He wrote it in one sitting, most likely, and he wrote it to the church at Colossae. And so the idea in chapter 3 is, hey, we've got to put off the old and we've got to put on the new. We've got to look different than the world does. And, and when we do, it's going to change our lives. It's going to change our future. And as a result of changing our future, then, it then speaks to what do we do with that? And that's what this last part of the letter talks about in chapter 4. And so let's go right into verse 1 of chapter 4 where we find right up front as it's changing our lives now to walk with Him, to put off the old and put on the new, it, it, it changes us to a call to fervent prayer. Look what it says in verses 1 and following. It says, Masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, I want to pause right here and say that that is kind of a 
a continuation of chapter 3. Remember last week we were talking in, in chapter 3 and it was talking about relationships between husbands and wives and children and parents and then uh, masters and slaves, employees and employers. This is a, a continuation of that thought. But then in verse 2 it says this, continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now here we get the picture that a clear indicator, uh, there's no question that an understanding of a changed life, it flows from, it comes back to, it is a part of the idea that we must be men and women of prayer. Now we talk about this often, we focus on this often, we, we believe very much in the power of prayer. My dad for many years is, was famous for that, that phrase that, that so many of us uh, have heard and we've memorized and we love that nothing of eternal significance is ever accomplished apart from prayer. We recognize the power of prayer. More importantly, we've seen the power of prayer. I think most of us in this room at some, uh, at some level, at some point in our lives, we've seen the power of prayer. And here, Paul is saying, you must be a person of prayer, that you must have a, a passion for prayer, not just simply because it's a, a perfunctory thing that we do to check a box off or to, uh, to make sure that we're fitting in a to-do list, but rather so that we are having a continual conversation with a very real and a very alive God. Now, you look at other religions in the world today, you look at uh, Hinduism, you look at Buddhism, you look at Islam, and so many other religions, and they have this idea of prayer. And they have in different ways, and they have different functions, and they do it in different ways. But it's interesting because yet they're so committed to this idea of having a conversation, but you have to ask yourself, who are they having a conversation with? Because you see, all of those things, all of those religions are not having a conversation with a, a God who is living, but we have the opportunity of coming to a God who is alive. The scripture is very clear of who God is and what God has done, that God through God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that holy trinity, that we have this opportunity because of Christ and what he has done, that we can boldly go before the throne of grace. And so for us to negate that idea, for us to, to neglect this picture, this opportunity we have to have a conversation with God, it doesn't make sense because God has given us this invitation to talk with Him. And so here Paul says in verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word. And so what does Paul give us? He gives us an encouragement in prayer here, and it's a four-part encouragement. It's a four-part encouragement. I encourage you to take notes if you've got a pen there. It's also in the notes in our app. But these four different encouragements in prayer are basically lining up like this. First, it's a, pray, a prayer for self. This idea that we have the opportunity and the invitation and this incredible gift of being able to pray for ourselves. Now, there's a lot of different ways that we pray. Of course, Jesus gave us the model of prayer and uh, in, in the way that he taught us through the Lord's Prayer. But in a practical aspect, in a practical application of how do we pray in our journeys and in our lives, it's kind of like a, and I don't know who came up with this, but it's a great little uh, way to remember how to pray, and it's, it's the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, that when we sit down to have an opportunity of prayer, we use that, uh, that phrase, A-C-T-S, and it stands for four different words. You ought to write these words down. The first one is adoration. 
that the, the beginning part of our journey in prayer should be a recognition of, a celebration of who God is. Not what God has done for you, but who God is. That our God is the God of the universe. That our God is a God who, who created everything. Our God is a God who is perfect. Our God is a God who is holy. Our God is a God who is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. That our God is a God who is always with us every step of the way, never leaving us, never forsaking us. And that's something we should be pretty excited about. And so when this idea of prayer begins to seep into our journeys, when we dig into this idea of, uh, of being a person of prayer, of this encouragement to prayer, it ought to start with when you sit down and pray, whether it's in the morning or at nighttime or sometime during the day, it ought to start with just simply a recognition, a recognition, God, you're an amazing God. God, I'm in awe of who you are. God, I can't believe that you could love me so much. God, you are an awesome, awesome God. And then it goes to the second letter in that statement. And so first is adoration, the second is confession. So in other words, the more recognition you have of how awesome our God is, it should also lead us to recognize how unworthy we are. And so in other words, it's, it's, it's awe of God, it's adoration of God, but then it's confession of our sins. God, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. God, forgive me of my sins. And then whatever sin is there, whatever sin is present, you get it before God and you call into action. First John chapter one, verse nine, where he says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that promise comes when we, what? Confess. And so we start with adoration and then we go to confession. And then the next word, T, thanksgiving. God, thank you for all your blessings in my life. God, thank you for the gifts that you have extended to me. And I'm not talking about gifts like stuff. I'm talking about gifts that go way beyond stuff. Like when I spend time in prayer, uh, I never pray. I never have an opportunity of talking with God where I don't thank God for my family. I thank God for my wife and I thank God for my, my four children and, and my now three uh, daughters-in-law and one son-in-law and, and really thank God for my two grandkids who are amazing, who are awesome. And I, I thank God for these incredible gifts that he's given to me and the gift of my family. I thank God for the opportunity that I have to, to be a part of a church body like this, a family of believers who, who is walking through this thing called life together, serving with one another. But most of all, I thank God for the fact that he saved me because I didn't deserve it. That here I am at 57 years old and I've been walking with Christ now for 51 years. And here's what I know. The older I get, the more I recognize what an amazing gift that was that I do not deserve. Thank you, God. And so this idea of adoration and the idea of confession and then thanksgiving. And then we get to the good stuff in our minds, right? And that's the word S, letter S, which is, stands for supplication. That is your needs. God, please, would you meet this need? God, would you help in this situation? God, would you minister in this situation? God, would you be with my kids and protect them and guide them and lead them? God, would you be with my wife? My wife had surgery on Thursday, and, and so she's spending the next two weeks with, with her legs. She can't put any weight on her leg at all, which means our Thanksgiving meal is going to be, hey, you know, going, somebody's going to say, hey, you want fries with that, right? Because I'm going to go through the drive-thru. I'm not cooking. Um, 
And so, so, you know, thank you, God. And then it's like, God, would you do this? God, would you bring healing? God, would you bring restoration? God, would you provide? There are a lot of people in this room today that need God to provide. Provide in a financial way. Provide in a relational way. To provide in a, in a meaningful situation that you're walking through that you don't know what to do. Some of you students, maybe. Like, God, would you, would you help me on this test? Would you help me on this paper? God, would you help me to find a job? All of these things, like it's supplication, because here's the deal, God wants to hear your need. God actually wants to hear what you need Him to do for you. And I don't know about you, but that in itself is pretty amazing, that the God of the universe who's all-powerful actually cares what you're going through. He actually cares what situations that you're facing, what trials that you are experiencing. And so there it is, like the letter, the word Acts, those four letters, A-C-T-S. Let that be a model for your prayer time. Now listen, that's not like a scriptural model. That's not like if you do it some other way, you're doing it wrong and God won't listen to you. It's just a good practical way to um, infuse into your prayer life so that you will understand like how it is that we are to pray. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. And so we're to pray for self, but then the next statement here, he says, continue earnestly in prayer. And then he uses this next statement, being vigilant. In other words, he wants us to pray with diligence, like, like meaningful prayer, not like, you know, getting ready to, you go through a drive-thru and you, you know, you've got a few seconds after they hand you the bag before you have to drive away and you know you can't close your eyes and pray as you're driving away. So it's like, God, thank you for this food, amen. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about vigilant, diligent prayer. In fact, when you look at that word vigilant, it's the, it's the Greek word gregorio, which literally means to be alert and to be awake, like, like, men, like you're dialed in, like you are focused on it. For some of us uh, this year, we've had the great privilege of watching like the LCA Bulldogs football team under Frank Rocco and the Liberty University football team under Jamie Chadwell. And as we have watched, like we've been dialed in, man. We've been zeroed in on what they're doing, both now 11 and 0. And as they're heading towards, uh, you know, whatever the next step is, and we pray that next week it's 12 and 0, and then, you know, championships and, and bowl games and all those kinds of things. Like we are dialed in. I was speaking in Asheville, North Carolina the last uh, three days. I spoke yesterday morning, and, and I rushed back from Asheville, North Carolina. I got to the game just a little bit late. Why? Because I was dialed in and zeroed in. That's what being vigilant is all about. Now, Paul is not talking about a football game. He doesn't care about the football games, but what he does tell us is, hey, you've got to pr- pray. You've got to be focused and, and be vigilant in your prayer serious in your prayer. It has to be something of absolute meaning. Did you hear what just happened? Did anybody just catch that? So I said, you have to be serious with your prayer. My phone is right here, and it said, how can I help you? Did you hear that? It actually, it actually, yes. Siri answered, shut up, Siri, I'm preaching. I've never had that happen before. It's great. I do have it, like at home, but whenever I, I call my wife, my wife's name is Sherry. And so I'll call Sherry, and my phone always answers. It's really weird. It's a strange thing. But we must be diligent. And I'm not being diligent in preaching right now. Have you noticed that? Like I've totally gotten off track, which is kind of like what we do in our prayer time so often, right? And so we got to be vigilant in our prayer time. Diligent. Diligent. I need to take a break. Somebody give me a Diet Coke. No, okay, okay. 
We have to be vigilant. We've got to focus, dial in, be alert. But then this third one is to pray with gratefulness. Listen to what he says again, verse 2. Continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. What a great verse to be looking at during this week when we're going to gather together with family and friends this week and, and talk a little bit about and celebrate a little bit about how thankful and grateful we are for all that God has done for us. Grateful for our family and our friends and Grateful for our, our, our opportunities in service and ministry and, and all the things that have been provided. And so he says, listen, always, always, always pray with gratefulness to make sure that we recognize what that literally, literally means. And then the last part is to pray for others. Go back to verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. So it says in verse 3, praying also for us understand that we have been called by God to pray for others. And I don't mean the cursory, oh yeah, I'll be praying for you, and then we forget about it and never do it. I mean like actual prayer. Now I remember years ago, and some of you will remember this, and, but seated right back about three-fourths of the way back in this section right in here, there was a, a guy who sat here for a few years, but, but in the old church, always in that same spot, and it was a guy named Howard Welling. And Howard Welling was a part of our church for many, many decades. He was just a great, great man. And he was a prayer warrior. And, and every opportunity that I had of, of, of talking to him or running into him at church, after a church service, he would, he would catch me. And, and, and he, would have this, he would have this Bible, a big, thick Bible that was all tattered and torn. But he also had another book with him. And this other book with him was his prayer book. And he would open it up and he had handwritten page after page after page after page after page of names, listing out names that he was praying for. And every single week he prayed for every name in that book. And I mean, there were thousands of names in there. And what was amazing is that he would catch me and he would say, hey, let me show you something. And he would flip to the page where my name was on it. And he'd say, I'm praying for you this day. Man, that's so meaningful because it was intentional. Like it wasn't like some cursory, oh yeah, I'll be praying for you. Absolutely, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. No, 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 it was like all in, man. He was praying for me. And that's what Paul is saying here. We have to recognize, we have a, a calling to prayer, a calling to fervent prayer. But then he also says this in the next part of this passage in verse five, that we have a call to a faithful witness. A call to a faithful witness. Look what it says in verses five and six. Verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. In other words, it is expected of all believers that we walk the walk and talk the talk. That we have a responsibility to walk with a good testimony, but we also have the opportunity and the calling of God to share our testimony. And that's what this verse says. And so it says here that we must walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Now, the Greek word there that is used for the word outside is the, is the word exo. And it literally means for those on the perimeter. It means like for those that are not like in the group, but like are out on the fringes, the, the ones that, that are outside the group that you are in. And so obviously what he's talking about here is he's not talking about the people within the church. He's talking about the people who are not in the church. Here, Paul is talking about the unbelievers, that we have a responsibility, that we have a, a duty, a calling from God that we must actually walk 
in the right kind of testimony, the right kind of witness, so that when the world looks at us, they see things that reflect the love and the power and the presence of Christ in our lives. And so he says, walk in wisdom in front of those on the fringe, in front of those who are on the perimeter, in front of those who are outside of your group. And then he goes on to say, redeeming the time. And that literally is like buying back the time, making the most of every opportunity. In other words, always with an antenna up, looking for the opportunity to make a difference with the gospel. Not like when you have the opportunity where a church, you know, when the pastor gets up and says, hey, we need you to do this. I mean, sure, certainly you should do that. But what I'm talking about is like when you're going to work and when you're, you know, in your neighborhood and when you're maybe out on the golf course or when, you, when you're hanging out with a family in a restaurant, always with the antenna up, listening for, looking for, expecting that God is going to put someone or something in your path that day where you can make a positive impact for the gospel. And that's what Paul's saying. So he's saying, hey, if you're going to have a changed life and you've got to make sure you're walking in wisdom in front of those who are outside on the perimeter and always redeeming the time, making the most of every single opportunity so that you can reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not just in the testimony side, but then the next verse, in verse 6, it says, and let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. In other words, it means the words that we must use are, should be words that are attractive. In other words, we actually do need to act different than the world does. That's why, and I've said this a million times here, I'll say it again, it's why it burns me up when I see Christians on Facebook or Twitter or some other social media platform, and they are just like ripping someone up, like angry and attacking and accusatory, and you know, they'll sit there and in their bio it'll say, you know, a child of God. And then their, their, their posting is like, man, just going after somebody and being rude and, and, and accusing them and attacking them. And I'm sitting there, like those two don't go together. If you're going to, on social media, if you're going to attack people, if you're going to, you know, rip people up and down, if you're going to go after them on some issue and some topic or whatever it might be, whether it's politics or sports or whatever, if you're going to rip somebody, do me a favor, go to your bio and delete the part that says that you're a child of God. Like, just delete that. In fact, put something up there that's not true so they'll think you're with some other group. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That's not, the pastor told me to lie. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that. But, but, but what I'm saying is, like, don't do those kinds of things. Why? Because God, not a preacher, God commands you to have the right kind of testimony, to use the right kind of words. Why? Because we are the light that God has called to be in a dark world. That wherever you are and no matter what you do, God has specifically placed us in this moment and in this season and for this time, for such a time as this, to be a reflection of who Christ is. And unfortunately, so many Christians today have lost sight of their calling of God. And understand, a calling of God is not like a calling to ministry. Certainly people are called to ministry, just as other people are called to business or called to medicine or called to teach. Yes, that's a calling. But all of us collectively have been called to do what I'm talking about today. It doesn't matter what your job title is. It doesn't matter what your career path might be. You are called. You are called to be a testimony. 
to be a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we walk with wisdom to, towards those who are outside, that we redeem the time, we buy back, we use every opportunity, that we make sure that our words are words that are meaningful, that they're attractive, that they're words of grace so that we can have the impact that he's called us to have. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, it is important that we Christians live wisely when among the lost for unsaved people look at our lives and they try to find things to criticize. We wonder what unsaved people think of Christ and the gospel when the Christians that they do business with fail to pay their bills or keep their promises. Now you've heard me say this before. In fact, I think I said it even last week about how when we go to restaurants on a Sunday after church and as Christians that people, that oftentimes the servers there, they don't like to have the Christians come in because we don't act the right way. And that shouldn't be. In fact, people should love to have the Christians show up in a restaurant. That they're like, man, I can't believe how lucky I am to be able to serve them. Why? Because we walk in there with the right kind of heart, the right kind of attitude, and we treat them well, and we're a reflection of Christ. And that's what God's word says here. And so we have a call to fervent prayer. We have a call to, to make sure that we recognize this faithful witness, but then we also have a call to fellowship. God actually wants us to do this thing together. That's why we spend so much time focused on life groups around here. It's why we talk about it often. We want people in community because God calls us to be in community. Now, if you think about the context of the writer of this letter, the Apostle Paul, like obviously, and it's been used of him, it's a moniker that he has worn for thousands of years, the greatest Christian that has ever lived outside of Christ himself, right? We've all heard that phrase, talking about the Apostle Paul. And it's interesting, what I'm about to read to you is the Apostle Paul making the case for even the Apostle Paul needs to have people who do life with him. That he needed a group with him. He needed to run with people through this thing called life. So look what it says in verse 7. He says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. Uh, Luke, verse 14, the beloved physician and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus in the church that is in his house. And so you can see here, like he spends this, uh, this inordinately long amount of time and space talking about the people that he's walking through life with. He talks about Tychicus there, who was the, uh, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He's talking about how he's with him and a co-laborer in Christ. He talks about, uh, he talks about Onesimus, who was the slave, who, who was the slave of Philemon, that we have a whole other letter in Scripture about. He talks about Aristarchus, who was a fellow prisoner and co-laborer with him there in jail. We have, hear about Mark, who was the author of the Gospel of Mark, who served alongside of him. We hear about Jesus, which at that time would have been like Joshua or Justice, who was a co-laborer with Paul. 
We hear about Epaphras, who was the pastor of the church at Colossae, who now was in prison with Paul. We hear about Luke, who was the co-laborer with Paul and the writer of the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And then we hear about Demas. Now, Demas is one of those ones that we hear about here, but we also hear about him over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Because here, Demas was one of the ones who was a co-laborer with Paul. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul talks about how Demas cared more for the things of the world than he did for the things of God, and he abandoned Paul. Now, this is an important distinction of all these lists, as we talked about, that we've been called to do life together, we've been called into to family, we've been called into community, that we should do this thing called life together. But we also should recognize and understand that oftentimes there will be someone who lets you down. There will be someone who treats you poorly. There will be someone who abandons you. Even the Apostle Paul had that same thing happen to him. And so in other words, this is not a new problem. It's not a unique problem. It's not something that that, that you are just unfortunate and you're the only unfortunate person in the world that has had someone do you wrong. No, even the Apostle Paul had someone like Demas who, who turned and turned his back on him and walked away. But the clear statement and the clear message that Paul is giving to us here is that God has called us to do this thing called life, this ministry journey, to do it with people. Because Paul, who could have done everything on his own because he was so wise, so smart, such a great preacher and leader and teacher and writer, he still needed people to help him. I can tell you if the Apostle Paul needed people to serve alongside of him, you do too. And so do I. And so we have this, this call to fervent prayer. We have this call to, uh, to a faithful witness. We have this call to fellowship. And so then Paul ends this letter. And basically he asks a question, so what's your call? So what is it about your journey that you desperately need to recognize? Look what it says in verse 16. So now when this epistle is read among you, when this letter is opened and read, See that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. You should underline verse, uh, the last part of verse 17. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, the reason I told you to underline that part or circle that part there, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. That is a calling that God, through Paul to you, has spoken today. And what he says is take heed to the ministry that you have been called, that you have received, so that you will fulfill it. Uh, say it a different way. So guys, pay attention to what God has called you to do and make sure you do it. Pay attention to what it is that God has laid on your heart and be faithful to carry it out. Like, be very aware what God wants you to do and then do everything you possibly can to make sure that you pull that off with joy, with effectiveness, with impact. Like, make sure you know what God has called you to do. And I've got to be honest with you, I've been asked a million times, like, how can I know the will of God for my life? And I've got to be honest with you, like, I don't know what God's will is for your life, but I do know how to find it. And the way you find it is by spending time in his word. The way you find it is that you spend time in prayer. The way you find it 
is you start serving and being a part of something that you actually get engaged and get involved. Because what happens is the more that you're engaged and involved in the work of God, the more likely it is that you will see and find out what the will of God is for your life. You'll find out what your giftedness is, which all of us have unique and direct gifts that God has given to us so that we can carry out the work that he's called us to carry out. And so here, Paul says this, take heed to that ministry you have received so that you may fulfill it. The greatest danger and the most tragic story that could ever be told of a follower of Jesus Christ is they get to the end of their lives and either have never found out what it is that God wanted them to do or they found out and they didn't do it. Don't allow that to be your narrative. Don't allow that to be what people will say of you when you're gone. And make no mistake, people are going to say something of you when you're gone. Now at your funeral, they're going to make up all kinds of nice things to say. I mean, your funeral, you're golden, you're good. Everybody's going to be nice at the funeral. But after the funeral, make sure that the thoughts that come to mind, the stories that you that people look back and think about you, the, the, the reflections that they have, is that that is a man of God who did great things. That's a woman of God. She did great things. Like a Howard Welling, who's been in heaven, I don't know how many years, Matt. Do you know how many years ago he passed away? Phil, sometimes is seated back here, and Phil, his son, would know, but Phil's not here today. Maybe he's at the 11 o'clock. But, but regardless of how many years he's been in heaven, here's what I know. When I think of Howard Welling, here's what I think about. He was a prayer warrior. When I think of an R.C. Worley, he was a prayer warrior. When I think of a Charlie Harbin, man, he was a prayer warrior. When I think of a Dave Hearspink, man, he was a prayer warrior. When I think of my dad, he was a prayer warrior. What? Will people think about you? God has called you to do something for him. Find it, walk in it, and fulfill it. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for this reminder again from your word that every person who's heard my voice today has heard yours, not mine. That every person in this place or watching or listening today, that they have had a clear and a clarion call that comes from you, that God, that you want them to accomplish great things for you. No matter what their career is, no matter what their path might be, no matter what their journey might hold, that God, you've called them to greater things. And so God, I, I pray today as we come to you in an unworthy manner, which we all do, as we, we sang that song a few moments ago, we have nothing to offer you except for a heart of hallelujah, a heart of commitment, a heart of thanksgiving. God, I, I pray that every person who's hearing my voice today will be diligent in looking for what it is that you've called us to do and then go and do it. 
And God, we know that the ultimate and the most important call that you've placed on our lives is the call to follow after you. And God, I know there might be someone here today who's never made that decision. They've never answered that call. And it is a universal call, we know. The Bible says that you came to seek and to save that which is lost. That you're not willing that any should perish. God, that we know you've called us to run after you. And so God, today, if there's someone here or watching or listening who has never made the decision to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, let this be the moment to believe that Jesus is your son, that he died and rose again for them, and that today would be the day that they fulfill the call of Romans 10, 13, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let that be this day. And God will give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, our team is gathering here at the front. And as we always do, the altar is going to be open in just a moment. And, and when it is, I want you to think for a moment. Again, no matter how old you are, no matter how young, no matter whether you're getting ready to start a career or whether you just retired, no matter if you've been married 50 years or maybe you are you know, heading towards the day of marriage here in a couple of weeks, a months, or maybe a year or so down the road. Or maybe you've been walking through school thinking like, man, what am I going to do next? I don't care where you are in the journey. Here's what I want you to ask yourself right now. Question everyone in the room asks themselves. Number one, do I truly know Christ as Lord and Savior? First question. Second question. And do I know what he wants me to do? Those are the two most important questions that you can ask and answer in your life. Do I know Christ? And do I know what he wants me to do? And so in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing through. Zach's going to lead us just one more time. And, and when we do, the altar is going to be open. Our team's going to be here. And we'd love to talk with you and have the opportunity of sharing with you. And if you're here today and you've ne- you can't answer that first question in the positive, you can't say, yes, I have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. I encourage you in a moment when we stand to make your way from wherever you are and to make your way to the front and talk with one of our team members and say, I want to meet Christ. Our team would love to share with that, that with you today. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you about that. Or maybe you can't answer the second question. Maybe you want to come and just kneel here at the altar and pray, God, give me clarity. Give me wisdom. God, I'm crying out for you today. God, help me to know what do you want me to do? I can't answer that question for you. The person sitting next to you can't answer that question for you, but God can. And here's the cool thing about God. When you ask him, he can't wait to make it clear. So we're going to stand. Zach's going to lead us. And as he does, the altar is open. Step out today. Zach. So I throw up my hands, praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a Oh, 
today as we walk out of here, I pray that we would have a heart that is fixed and focused on you and what you want us to do. God, I pray that we would be people of fervent prayer. God, that we would be vigilant in our prayers. God, I pray we would be people who are faithful in our witness. I pray that we would be people who are looking for the right kind of fellowship. And God, ultimately, I pray we would be people who truly desire to take heed of the ministry we've received from you so that we can fulfill it. God, help us to do what you've called us to do. And God, for that, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar remains open. If you'd like to come down and pray with one of our team, we'd love to. If you want to come join the church, come for baptism, whatever it might be. God bless you. Have a great day.